And so Yom Kippur, uh, the priest interceded, but Jesus continually intercedes, offering eternal atonement through his cross, through his blood. Do you know that it says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel? guys, fiery revelators. So glad to see you again on this episode of Burning Messengers, the Burning Messengers podcast. I am your host, Tammy Sutherland, and we are in the middle of some of the most powerful times right now, to be honest with you, um, on what is many call the Jewish calendar. So it's actually what we call God's calendar. And we live on the Gregorian calendar, which is, you know, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. Um, but God's calendar has a little bit different setup. It's the calendar that some believe began at the beginning of time at creation. And so according to the Dead Sea Scrolls, even the calendar that we call the Jewish calendar could be off by about 200 years. But it's important to know how God works on his calendar for the purpose of the eternal storyline. So when I look at some of these things in the play in a way of legalism, we look at them in a way of prophetic revelation. So Yom Kippur Tabernacles and the Transfiguration of Christ at a feast can be super prophetic. So follow along with me as we jump into this revelatory swirl today about Yom Kippur, which would have been September 24th, 25th, the Feast of Tabernacles and the profound symbolism of the scapegoat, all pointing to the redemption of Christ. So let's begin with Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was or is a time on the calendar of the Lord that signifies searching our hearts, repentance, and even fasting. Um, many uh, that are Israelites or Jews will fast completely, no food, no water during this time. They won't even bathe because it's a time to completely, totally separate yourself and allow the Lord to search your heart, Yahweh, to search your heart and know you. But it's also a day saturated with God's mercy and his grace. It's a time when the high priest entered the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. Now, I'm going to tell you real quick a little bit more about this priest and how he would actually use what is called a scapegoat to lay his hands on that scapegoat, send it out of the um, out of the camp where they were as a representation of laying the sins of the nation onto this goat and sending it out in order to remove that sin from the people. And so in true Jewish tradition, this would happen. It would go into the wilderness and they would tie a, a scarlet cord or thread around the horn of this goat, and they would watch to see if that thread would turn white in order to, to recognize that God had removed the sin from the nation. It's said that 40 years before Jesus is coming that the and, and had his sacrifice, him being the lamb that was slain on the cross, that the scarlet thread quit turning white. So that's pretty significant. As we think about what we're going to talk about today, Yom Kippur, Feast of Tabernacles and Christ's atonement for us, the prophetic symbolism. Think about that too, how God was already signifying that he was no longer removing the sin of the nation through a goat, but he would bring forth a prophetic fulfillment that would cover the sins of the world all once and for all that the blood of bulls and goats could not. So Jesus is the perfect, sinless 
sacrificial lamb, right? We'll get into that a little bit more later on. And so the priest would bathe. He would change his clothes. He would go from his glorious garments that would identify him as the priest, and he would put on white linen. And if you look at this and study it out a little bit more, that is very significant. We see this again in the book of Revelation when the people are presented before the Lord, those that come out of the um, time of trial and temptation, they are clothed in white linen. linen. You and I are going to be clothed in linen. We see the Lord glorious, white, and bright, and shining. And so it's the simplicity of this clothing, which is like sort of prophetically wore this for this podcast. It's the simplicity of this clothing that points towards him being the glorious one. It's just so powerful. And so he would make his first, he would make atonement for his own sins, the high priest, because he's not without sin. As a matter of fact, they operated in a serious fear of the Lord going into this one time opportunity into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice for the sin of the people. And he would go through his uh, ritualistic cleansing physically in order to intercede on the behalf of the people. So this this intercession piece, I want you to hear me in this podcast and the podcast to come, connecting prophecy to intercession. There is no prophecy without intercession. There is not a prophet in the Bible who was able to prophesy or release what the Lord was saying without being in the place of feeling, experiencing, identifying with God himself and coming to know him and knowing his heart and knowing his ways. And so this was an act of prophetic intercession. It would point towards Jesus, who is our great high priest. Ultimately, he was seeking for reconciliation with Yahweh and the people by laying his hands on this goat and releasing that goat and the sins of the people as the scapegoat on the day of Yom Kippur. And so let's grasp this profound reality as revelators, right? We like to get together and swirl in the revelation of God and understand the prophetic side of all of these things that Jesus is our eternal high priest. Also connect that with 1 Peter where we are called those who would priest unto the Lord. We're a set-apart nation. We're able to priest unto the Lord because we could come boldly to him by the blood of the lamb, right? Through to the throne of grace because of the blood of the lamb, the one who would forever make atonement for our sins. So let's look at Hebrews 4.14. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith which we profess, the power of our mouth. We hold firmly, not just to the idea of going to church, but the faith in Christ as the Messiah, the eternal Lamb, that we profess, knowing that he is our high priest that has atoned for the blood, the guilt, and the sin of us who have received him, and also in future reference to those who would come into him and receive him and believe him, prophetically even, pointing towards Israel, who would receive him as their Messiah before his second coming, because they're provoked to jealousy as we begin to understand the power of who he is in our lives, our Messiah, our great high priest, um, Gentiles, who we don't even understand these things who are able to enter into the revelation of them by the power of the Holy Spirit because we've come to know him. Yeah, intimacy. 
it all goes back to intimacy. And so Yom Kippur, uh, the priest interceded, but Jesus continually intercedes, offering eternal atonement through his cross, through his blood. Do you know that it says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel? Abel's blood was shed. It says that Abel's blood continued to cry out, justify, justice, justice, justify the sin of his death. But Jesus' blood intercedes on our behalf and on the behalf of those who don't yet know him. He's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth, making intercession for us. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Opportunity to come, even when we don't even understand the power of who he is as our intercessor. So tabernacles, how that connects, so Feast of Tabernacles follows the Day of Atonement. We'll be entering into that in uh, on Friday, September the 28th. We'll be entering into the Feast of Tabernacles, and it is a time of feasting. It's a time of recognizing that he has come to dwell with us. And so let's think about that for just a second. It's also known as Sakat. It commemorates when God's presence was with the Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness. Uh, they dwelled in temporary booths, which is why booths or tents are built outside of the house to uh, remember the time when they had to dwell with God in the wilderness. And it was a time when God would immerse them in the shadow of his glory. He, would, he came in and actually brought the power of his presence. And if you know this whole story, it's really profound because at the beginning of their exodus, the, the voice of the Lord came and invited them near and they rejected that. They were terrified. They only wanted Moses to go into the mountain. And then the mountain burned with fire. And it was like, you know, you guys are going to reject coming to me. Don't come to me. Even your animals will be killed if they approach the mountain because of your rejection of my voice. And so here's, I'm going to take us into something even more profound in just a moment, how God always has redemption in his storyline. He always longs to draw near to us even when we reject that opportunity. And so this glory cloud is in the wilderness. As they're dwelling out in the wilderness, his presence is there with them to cover them, to protect them, and to allow them to know peace and safety amid such a tumultuous or uh, a trying time that they were in. And so it, it carries this profound significance. And it also it, it, it encapsulates the journey of Moses and the Israelites. It offers us a revelation of not just the tabernacle, but also the table. And so these two elements are so important. You see both the tabernacle and the table in the temple of the Lord. The table is in the Holy of Holies. It's a place where bread is placed for the Lord. It's a place where, you know, there's a, an opportunity to dine with God himself for the, the high priest. It's just, if you begin to study this stuff, it just blows your mind because all of these things are types and prophetic shadows that point towards our opportunity to come boldly to the throne of grace, not just where we can receive mercy, but so that we can receive mercy so we can come and dine with him. If you look at Exodus 24, 9 through 11, you see the Lord setting a table for Moses and 70 other Israelites after they've rejected, after the people rejected, the presence of God and they have this 
you know, time of rejection where they actually worship other idols. The Lord actually, Yahweh invites Moses to come up the mountain and he's not alone in Exodus uh, chapter 24. Verses 9 through 11, there's 70 others there. God sets a table. It reminds me of Psalm 23 when he says, and I will set a table before you in the presence of your enemies, and I'll anoint your head with oil, and your cup will overflow. There is absolutely nothing, nothing that the enemy can do to pull those who are hungry away from the presence of God, because he will chase after us. He will bring us into the intimacy and the beauty of dining with him. So he covers them with his glory cloud in the wilderness. He provides for them fire at night to protect them from the cold. Listen, and we're not talking about wilderness like woods. We're talking about desert land, okay? It's cold at night. It's hot during the day, and he does not leave them or forsake them, even in their sin and idolatry. And then he takes the 70, and he calls them up. Can you imagine the table of the Lord, God's table being set before you in the presence of those that have rejected and they don't even know what's going on and you're sitting down. This is before the incarnation of Christ and they're sitting with him at a table and they're feasting with him and they're dining with him and he's commissioning them and don't you know he's transforming them. So it, it carries profound implications for us. It echoes a table of transfiguration, an opportunity of transfiguration that we see that the disciples get a little foretaste of in Matthew 17, where there's three that are with Jesus and they're waiting with him and they're up on the mountain. And then all of a sudden they are falling asleep on their watch. And they, right? With the they didn't recognize the beauty of who Jesus was. They didn't recognize that he was like God incarnate, right? They thought they did, but in their hearts, they're, they're slumbering. And so Jesus is transfigured and there's Elijah and there's Moses. And all of a sudden, Peter wakes up, wipes the sleep from his eyes. And he's like, oh, wow, I get to be a part of this. Let me build all three of you a tabernacle. You see where this tabernacle and table thing keeps coming in together? Tabernacle is a presence. It's the presence of the Lord. It's the covering of the Lord. It's the place of meeting with God. And then this voice of the Lord comes and it's like, uh -uh, Peter, no, because this is my son. Jesus is the Messiah and whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. There is no other. There is, he is not equal to Elijah. He's not equal to Moses. There is no other. Listen to him. Peter, be quiet. Listen to him. And so there's this connection, I believe, even in the table and the tabernacle and the presence and recognizing Jesus as the fulfillment of these things, but also propelling us towards in the future, a prophetic understanding of that which has not been fulfilled. There's a promise of his coming, his first coming. We read about it through the old covenant, the old Testament. We read it, Isaiah 53, we read Daniel. We read all of these books that prophesy both of the first coming of Yeshua, the Messiah, and the second coming of Yeshua, the Messiah. And so in this moment, we're understanding the dining that we get to take partake in with him because he is the blood. He is the atonement. He is the scapegoat. He is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. 
And so this sacred moment not only affirmed Jesus as the son of God and the promised Messiah in Matthew 17, but it foreshadowed his indwelling presence back to Tabernacles, Sakat. It foreshadowed that, that when they came out of the wilderness and they're celebrating this feast of booths, that that was fulfilled and will be fulfilled as his indwelling presence would come into his people. It says deep cries out to deep. Who will come near? Who will draw near? Hey, y'all. We just want to interrupt this episode to share how you can support the Burning Messengers podcast. This podcast is part of Tammy's ministry, Frontline Fire. And when you buy any of their products, not only do you support the pod and propel a mission of that org, but you get to wear your faith on your sleeve and incorporate burning messages into your daily life with shirts, mugs, and more. Visit shop. Dot frontlinefire.org to get a shirt or mug that ignites your faith. That's shop.frontlinefire.org. You can also find a link in the show notes for this episode and tag Tammy on social media the next time you wear your shirt or sip on some joy. And so we are the temple of God. He came to transform us into vessels of his glory, he invites us into a table with him. John 1 14 unveils the breath taking reality. Listen to this. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, when you begin to understand these appointed times or these feasts of the Lord on the calendar of the Lord, you also begin to come into a deeper revelation of what we, we would call the new covenant. It's actually the new wineskin. We so often use that language, but this is the new wineskin in which he would pour out his blood, his new wine. And so we begin to understand that we are the dwelling place of God because the word became flesh so that he could come and dwell among us, make us his dwelling place. So just as God tabernacled with his people in the wilderness, Jesus came to dwell with among us, manifesting the fulfillment of Sakat. So why do we celebrate Sakat? We don't, we don't have to, but listen, we listen to the revelation that we get to enter into and in understanding the fulfillment of these things they are no longer words on a page. They become the word in us manifested through us. And even I believe at the end of the age, at the end of this time that we live in will provoke the chosen of the Lord to jealousy because they begin to see how we're communing with the true Messiah, the fulfillment of these things as we do them not under the law but we do them by the power of the spirit and the power of his spirit will come and transform us through these things so the prophetic con connection here is how this all weaves together for us so we get to embrace this revelation we get to embrace this transformation that yom kippur points towards the forgiveness of our sins through christ it invites us beyond forgiveness into transformation just as the Israelites dwelt in temporary booths, we are called to be transformed and transfigured by Jesus as we partake in his nature and glean from these appointed times. Think about 2 Corinthians 3.18. It beckons us. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, being transformed into his image with an ever increasing glory we just sit in that for a minute unveiled faces moses came with a veiled face comes down out of the mountain to veil his face because that glory would fade 
And you and I come with unveiled faces because the glory of the Lord as we allow him to dwell in us richly will shine, burn through us. As my friend Waylon Henderson says, we become the blessed bread and the poured out wine to those who do not know him. We become a representation of a priest that can go before the great high priest, go before Yahweh and plead for the covering of the sins and the entrance of those who don't know him into the kingdom, into the family of God. It's such a powerful thing. So Jesus is the perfect sacrificial lamb. You think about this scapegoat that was sent out. You think about the 40 years that's prophesied, or I should just say the story that is told that the 40 years before Jesus came, that the scarlet thread no longer turned white, that something was changing. They're in the threshold. They're beginning to walk through a time where their minds have to change. Their view has to change. He's giving them time, just like the 40 years in the wilderness, to transform their thinking, to look forward to a fulfillment of this action that they do year after year. Isaiah 53 paints a vivid picture of Jesus as a suffering servant who bore our inequities. His sacrifice, unlike that of the scapegoat, is perfect and sinless. He atones for the sins of the world. If you have a background in an Abrahamic religion and knowing that Abraham, if you look at um, Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, Abraham was given a promise that through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So there's an Abrahamic covenant that actually includes all the nations of the earth. And the fulfillment of that covenant with Abraham allowed for the sacrifice of the son of God, the perfect one without sin to come, to be bruised, to be broken, to bleed. And that wouldn't be his first coming. There would be another when he, when he, when he comes in the future that would be victorious and all the nations would be drawn to him. But this Isaiah 53 points towards him, Jesus, the one that was sacrificed, the slain lamb before the foundation of the earth, the same lamb that we see seated on the throne in Revelation, and the same lamb in Revelation 7, 17, the same lamb in Revelation 5, where he's still the slain lamb that makes atonement, the high priest that cries out for the salvation of both Israel, yes, and Ishmael, the Gentile nations, but no one can come to the Father except by him. Let's look at Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Verse five, he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. As we approach these appointed times, sacred seasons, we got to remember that they're not mere historical traditions. They're not just Jewish feasts. They're appointments with God that open our eyes and paint a prophetic picture for us. Those of us that are hard of hearing and hard of thinking, we can't enter into Revelation without him. They're, they're, they're types and shadows of Christ that would come, Yeshua that would come and bridge the gap for all to come to Yahweh, to know him. They'd pour out his spirit and he would dwell in us and through us, drawing us into intimacy with him, that we could stand before him and agree with his intercession and his prayers. Romans 8, that we could bring forth the answer to the groan of creation as the sons of God began to be unveiled and 
know who they are with unveiled faces. Understand that this is an invitation for all to come to know him. And at the end of the age, this eternal storyline turns back around. The Gentiles who are grafted in, look at Peter and the, and the sheep that came down. We, we were the untouchables. At the end of the age, we, those of us who are falling, lovesick in love with Jesus, coming to know him, partaking in these appointed times and understanding prophetically that they're not law for us, but they're invitations for us to, uh, be, to, to begin to understand in our heart of hearts, to be transformed by him, to be transfigured at a table with him, that we become the glory, that we, we become his glory. We become the bride is the glory, right? of the husband. Her hair is the glory. That's what it says. We become the representation of his glory to those that do not know him. As we partake of him and we increase in him. Listen, if you think you know everything there is to know about him, then you have settled for so much less because we are so, 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 so broken and empty and, and without anything to offer him in and of ourselves. We'll spend all of eternity coming to know him more. This is not just, you know, we don't just get there and arrive. There's always more. And this is why I love doing this podcast for you guys, because you're the revelators. You're the ones that like to jump in to understanding him more. And I'm going to lay before you in these next few weeks and months to come more about prophecy and intercession and how they connect. But this is an invitation into intercession, the intercession with him to draw all men unto him, not into us, but he uses us. But the older we get, the more mature we get in him, the more we realize we don't know. The more we come to know him, the more we realize we don't know him. And it's a beautiful chase. It's a beautiful tension that we get to enter into. And so I would like to invite you, and you'll probably watch this at a later time, but those of you that are watching this within the first 24 hours of its release to come out to, with us in this teeny tiny town uh, called 96 South Carolina, September the 28th through the 30th, where we're going to be actually feasting. We're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to set a huge table, and it's going to be a table of encounter where we're going to feast together. We're going to believe God to take us through the threshold and take us into a transformation as we break the bread together. Listen, I believe that he wants us listen, to encounter him in a way even greater than Moses, right? We come in through the blood of the lamb. We start believing for more as we come out and do 24 hours of worship and prayer. What would he do? How would he move in our hearts? We don't just do it because we're supposed to do it, but we do it because we're hungry and we want him and we're the bride who's being made ready for her husband, the bride that would be the glory of her husband to shine brightly for her bridegroom. And if you can't make it out to South Carolina, you can go on the website for more details. If you can't make it out to South Carolina, I want to encourage you with your family to set a table to go outside and enjoy just his presence and nature and realize the power of what we have as we enter into him. Realize the power of being able to come in through the blood of the lamb. We don't have to lay our hands on a goat. We don't have to make a sacrifice and, you know, have our, our sins atoned for because it's already been done. It's not to give us a license to sin and forget all the things, especially these beautiful things. It's for us to celebrate. So we willingly go and we, we, we go away from all the noise with our families and say, man, let's pray, let's worship, be able to 
build a booth, build a tent outside. But more than that, let the Lord restore the family table, the table where we commune with him and dine with him, where we're thankful of who we are in him. And let the revelation really grip you and get in you deeply. And so I just want to thank you so much for joining me. I want to pray for you, but I want you to remember that this is about experiencing Christ's glory, his presence. As you approach the feast, prepare your heart to be transformed and transfigured. So Father, I pray right now for those that are watching, God, that you would bring a powerful revelation and unveiling of this message. I know it's a lot of information, Lord, especially those of us who were considered ourselves Gentiles. We're truly sons and daughters of yours. And, and, and you're just kind of taking us on this journey of understanding more of these prophetic revelations as a, as a people in this hour. I know that it's happening across the world. And we confess, like, I don't know everything. I just want to know you. And we confess together. We don't know. We don't even know how to celebrate these things. But we celebrate you. Jesus, I'm asking you to unveil power of this revelation and those that may be watching who don't know you, that may have a, a, a background of Judaism or even a background of Islam, God, that you would encounter them. Jesus, that you would encounter them as the man in white, that you would encounter them as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, that you would really so much freedom to know you. God, that you would show those of us that live in your presence as those who love you deeply God, setting us apart, consecrating us for your glory. God, I pray that you would unveil the eyes of those who do not know you, those that have been blinded to the truth of who you are. This Isaiah 53 will be read and shouted from the rooftops, pointing to the Messiah who has come and will come again. The one who came as a suffering servant, but will return as a lion who roars. Jesus, we love you so much. Impart your beauty to those that are watching. The spirit of revelation be released in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Until next time, fiery ones, I pray that you have a powerful encounter with the Lord, that you feast at the table with the King, that you keep hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and that you let him be the one whom you feast on every single day. I pray for revival in your prayer life, in your time of study, and in your family. Thank you so much for joining me again. If you enjoy this message, if you enjoy these podcasts, please share them. Please subscribe to our channel. And, you know, also, that's right, our email list. Jump on the email list so you don't miss an episode. Love you so much. I pray for the power of God to follow you and to accompany you in everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Burning Messengers. You don't want to miss what's coming next week. So if you haven't subscribed, please do so wherever you listen to podcasts. And if this word touched your heart, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. To connect with Tammy, follow her on social media or visit frontlinefire.org. You don't have to burn alone.